Welcome back to Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam and Christy. I'm Christy, the Dean of Admissions at Harvard Law School. And I'm Miriam, the Dean of Admissions and Financial Aid at Yale Law School. Today, we're going to talk about a key question. You may have considered why you want to go to law school and where you may want to go to law school. This episode is going to tackle when you should apply to law school. And this week, we should probably call our podcast Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam, Christy, and Johan. That's right. Today, we are joined by the great Johan Lee, Assistant Dean of Admissions and Financial Aid at Northwestern Pritzker School of Law. Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm Johan, and I'm from Northwestern. And I have been at Northwestern for in law school admissions for about 20 years, give or take. I think I started in uh, mid-year. So, uh, you know, a quick thing about me, uh, before uh, before law school, uh, before going to law school admissions, I was actually in law school. And uh, while I was in law school, my uh, dean of admissions at the time said, Johan, you do a really good job with tours. You're really good talking about to applicants. So why don't you try this for a career? And one thing led to another, and I ended up in Northwestern for, uh, for a better part of two decades. And I guess there, there's there are a lot of interesting things about me, but I think one a uh, really uh, fun fact about me. Well, it's less about me and more, more about uh, more about my kids. I think Christy uh, and I were both hoping this would be the fun fact. I'm hoping oh, yes. we think it is. <laughs> so, uh, so, so both of my kids are really into uh, American Ninja Warrior, that the TV show, uh, to the point where they're uh, we have gone across the country and watched watched tapings. So, if you uh, look in the background in the audience, you can see us. Uh, sitting there cheering on our, our favorite our favorite ninjas, but also my son is actually a competitor on American Ninja Warrior Junior. So specifically, season two, episode nine, uh, you can uh, see him compete as well as you can see me wearing a hideously orange T-shirt, uh, sweating in the brutal Los Angeles heat. We love it. Well, when we were thinking about who we wanted to invite to be uh, a guest star, I don't think it was a hard call. Both of us were like, so I'm thinking about and immediately uh, Johan came to mind because he is uh, both an amazing, generous colleague. Um, who's obviously been doing this for much, much longer than we we could even ever hope or aspire to do, uh, but also is super funny and and fabulous in so many ways. So we're honored and thrilled to have you here today. It's game time. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, 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 dun. All right. So last week we played overrated and underrated. And this week we have a new game for all of you. This one is called Better Know a Dean, modeled after the Stephen Colbert Better Know a District, and it features irreverent and irrelevant facts about your favorite admissions deans. We each chose a random question to ask the others, and we did not circulate these ahead of time. Johan, since you are our guest, we will give you the honor of the first question. Awesome. No pressure here. None at all. Um, so as part of, you know, part of the job of, of being an admissions officer is that you have to, um, you have to go around the country and, 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 and do recruitment. So you're on the road quite a bit. So, you know, if, if you were not, if you weren't able to go on the road, what would you miss the most about not going on the road? 
besides my glass of wine at the hotel bar by myself without my besides kids getting away from my children <laughs> <laughs> yes yes uh, and and besides you know meeting fantastic law school applicants oh of course on a daily basis yeah, yes of course I was saying <laughs> one so I, i've got one one thing i really love to do is visit the bookstores on different college campuses and choose a sweatshirt or t-shirt for myself and i have this little collection from all the places i've visited i'm actually wearing my University of Minnesota sweatshirt right now. And that is yes. something I'm, yes, I'm really yeah. going to miss that this fall. All right. I think I'll go next. So I am uh, a ginormous coffee addict. I, in fact, I'm drinking a, uh, one of my favorites, La Colombe cold brew in the can right now. Uh, shout out to La Colombe. I love it. So whenever I go to a new city or even to a, just any city, I always uh, ask uh, applicants that I meet. So what's the best coffee shop? Where should I go? What should I check out? Uh, and I, I love it. I love going and just sitting in coffee shops and reading and hanging out. I love the vibe and checking out all the great coffee spots around the country. What about you, well, Johan? Uh, you know, uh, I am going to miss peanut butter cups. <laughs> what really yeah that yeah so, more. <laughs> uh so uh so my so my son the the ninja warrior happens to have a, a peanut allergy and so we have no peanut butter anywhere in the entire house and so it's a sort of a special treat when i when i you know if i fly off somewhere and go somewhere uh outside of chicago i, I basically take the rental car and drive straight to a grocery store <laughs> and i buy and i buy or if i'm in new york i'll go to a drugstore and i'll buy like a ton of peanut butter cups do you and get so the fancy I, ones like the Justins, or do you get the straight up Reese peanut butter cups? You know, I'm I'm really happy with Reese's. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but 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 not the smaller ones. They have to be the giant ones. Yeah, because yeah, I feel like yeah, it's a better mouthfeel. Um, <laughs> that's and, I agree and, uh, completely. All right, Christy, you're up next. All right, my question borders on the irrelevant. What is your favorite shape of pasta, Miriam? To you. Well, I love pasta of all kinds. Uh, so this is like picking a favorite child. I'm going to go with um, a pasta from my study abroad uh, trip to Italy when I was in college. Uh, one of my favorite parts was going to uh, the area around Genoa where they have a ton of pesto, which I love, uh, and you used to get truffier, which is a little bit of a short kind of ruffly pasta. And I would have it with pesto and throw some green beans in there at the last second, last few minutes of cooking the pasta. Uh, and so you get uh, truffia with pesto and some green beans. Super, super good. I had that for dinner last week. That's what made it come to mind. Any other pasta lovers? All right. Wh which one for you, Johan? Um, so uh, in my family, the the only people that really love pasta are, are myself and my, my, my daughter. And uh, my daughter's uh, favorite dish now is, is cacio e pepe. Mm, and so, and so, so I love, so I love, uh, my, my favorite pasta right now is bucatini. That's my so, that's mine. <laughs> no, you stole her pasta. <laughs> All right. So now I feel bad because I have kind of a mean question. So the career counselor in me thought, what is a question all of my uh, job seekers hated the most? And I thought I would ask it to both of you. So um, what is your greatest weakness? Christy, you have to go first. And not the cheesy weakness, not like the, oh, I work so hard. I make everyone else exactly. look bad. No, not that. Like the real one. I've been reflecting on this quite a bit. I think my greatest weakness is I'm rather sensitive. I'm rather thin-skinned. And I've been thinking about this one a lot over the last two years since I took on this job, which is slightly more public. But it's it's it can be a superpower, too. Um, it makes you really... Sensitivity makes you empathetic as well. All right, Johan, what's your weakness? Uh, it's 
it is patience and listening. So it's, so it's a combination of the two. Uh, it's something that I'm, I've been, I'm very aware of and I need to work on. It's, it's when, especially in this business, when people ask you questions and you sort of, it, it's very easy for you to jump to the answer immediately in your head. And so I am trying to be as, uh, as patient as possible to listen to the entire question and then embedding a few seconds of incubation time and then giving an answer. So almost, it's almost like slowing down mm. uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, the whole listening and answering process, um, which, which is really difficult at a law fair when you're being, I mean, you know how it is when you're being bombarded from all sides. Yeah. Uh, 10, 15 people trying to ask, ask the same question, but it's, it's one of those things that I'm working, I'm working really hard to, to improve myself on. So I guess I, I will give my weakness last because um, I owe it. Uh, so this one is a shout out to my fabulous colleague, um, our assistant dean for admissions, Craig Janicek. Um, so this one's for you, Craig. I think I'm kind of a micromanager in a way that makes it annoying for the people who work who work with me a lot of the time. And I'm always really trying to, to check myself and give them the space to do their jobs too, because they're awesome at them. Uh, and I'm trying to pull myself back. So yeah, room for improvement there for sure. On today's discussion, time waits for no one. Time is on your side. Timing is everything. Today, yes, we're discussing timing. Once you know you want to apply to law school, when should you apply? I'll hand the microphone to Johan first for some initial thoughts. Well, I I suppose I'll start with the classic law school answer, the one that drives everyone mad, that that answer, non-answer. At the end of the day, it depends. There is no one perfect time to apply. Timing really depends on you and your goals. What if you know you do not plan to attend law school the following fall? So let's say you're a college senior who's already been accepted to the Peace Corps or you're out in the workforce and you have two more years left on your contract with your employer. Should you apply now if you know you want to defer? So I think the answer to that one is a is a clear no. So if you know you definitely are not 100% not going to be attending law school the following fall, don't apply. You should wait until you know there's at least a, a pretty reasonable chance you're going to be attending um, to, to submit your applications. And the reason for that is pretty simple. Um, at a baseline, deferrals aren't guaranteed. Among the, the criteria we look at when we're granting deferrals is we do ask people, when did you know about this plan that you're requesting a deferral for? And if you knew about it before you applied, to law school, that's not necessarily a positive thing because we're going to say, well, why, why did you apply then? Um, so that that's not great. It doesn't mean we won't grant the deferral. Often we will, but it's definitely um, you know better if, if it's not. I do want to say that we do understand that uh, many of our applicants are applying simultaneously to law school and a lot of other opportunities, things like fellowships or jobs or graduate programs um, of other kinds. And we're very understanding that they can't control the timing of, of when they're going to hear from those other things. And so uh, in that case, we, we do try to be as flexible as possible with, with deferrals in those situations. I agree. However, I want to also add an additional layer on top, and that is uh, when you when you request a deferral, a lot of schools uh, ask for an additional uh, financial commitment uh, on top of the traditional tuition deposit, whether it's a, a deferral deposit, uh, uh, some sort of other commitment deposit on top of all that. So if you if you know that you want to defer, it probably would be good to uh, um, maybe maybe wait uh, and apply during uh, during the year that you want to go through just because of the financial uh, commitment involved. 
So, Christy and Miriam, uh, you know, once upon a time, law students were more likely to come straight from college than a few than from a few years of post college work experience. Can I ask you when was that, Johan? Because you've been doing this, <laughs> we're like babies in the law school admissions, and you you've been around for a long time. When was that more? More common. I will say in fall 2009, my 1L year at Harvard Law School, my class was 60% straight from college. Wow. Now the incoming law school class at Harvard, the numbers vary year to year, but it's typically under 20% straight wow. from college. Yeah, I would say I would say probably post 2008. Uh, wow. is that that's when the the tide started shifting. I mean, I think there's still quite a few law schools that there there's still more straight through college seniors than there are those that have taken some gap years or some time off. But uh, for the most part, I think at least in my my applicant pool has been uh, mostly uh, time off people uh, for for the better part of two decades, I think. Wow. So, so sometimes people ask, are applicants at a disadvantage if they apply as college seniors? They see the numbers on websites. They see the percentage of the class who are matriculating after some years of post-college experience. And they wonder, do college seniors kind of get a knock during the admissions process? So I guess I'll, I'll say a couple of things about that. The, f- the first, which I think is important to put those numbers in context, and obviously those numbers have been changing over time. So the first thing is that a lot of this is just modeling the applicant pool. So it's not that admissions officers uh, at any school, ours included, are preferring to take people necessarily with more experience. It's just that th- that's the people who are applying, and so therefore that's who we're admitting. And the second thing I'll say is, is maybe more specific to Yale. I, I don't know how true it is at other schools. We traffic in a lot of deferrals, um, I think, in some some ways for reasons uh, that are specific to us. And so the number of people coming straight through is in some ways artificially deflated because uh, some number of the people we admit who are straight from college will then request and receive a deferral. Um, so we're admitting more people who are straight from uh, from college than the people who actually matriculate straight from college. I generally agree that there's not necessarily a, a disadvantage to applying straight from college, but at the same time, I I do notice that those who have some post-college experience just often have a bit more meat on their applications. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it when you when you have more time on earth, you just have more stuff to say. And I think you know the, the time difference also is good in in helping clarify, you know, goals, direction, plans, interest, like what you want to do with a law degree, especially what you want to do with a law degree afterwards. It's right. It's there's a lot of sense of direction that's really important for every applicant, whether or not you're applying straight from college or after some years. The way I try to frame it is. as follows. If you're a strong applicant, you're a strong applicant. And if you apply as a senior and you're super strong, you're going to be all set. So occasionally someone will kind of do not much of anything and that can detract from an otherwise strong applicant. But that's much, much, much less common than people who do really cool and interesting things after college and make their application even more appealing than it would have been. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's more the exception to the rule that that an application will get weaker. I mean, I, I have seen applicants as you point out, do absolutely nothing in between for their gap years. And and that, you know, that raises a lot of red flags on, on a whole host of fronts outside of just the fact that you did nothing. Um, but most, you know, most applicants to law school are are working towards something. And so as long as the, the building blocks add up, then then I think the application should be stronger. And on that note, it's really important to fill in those gaps. If an admissions officer reading your application sees 
large gaps. And by large gaps, I think more than two months really stick out, at least to me. They will wonder how you spend your time. And I think one major red flag is, is this someone who's going to take advantage of opportunities at our individual law schools? Yeah. And I I guess I always kind of go back to the way I think about things when I did a lot of career advising, which is you want to think like an employer, in this case, think like an admissions committee member. What are the open questions that are going to be there from your application materials? What are they going to be like wondering about? So a giant gap is something that's going to raise questions and you want to proactively answer those questions. Well, I mean, logistically, you know, it can be easier to apply as a college senior. Uh, your undergraduate work is fresh in the minds of your professors. It also makes sense to ask for letter of recommendations right then before you graduate. I, yeah, and I do think that logistical ease can be the reason that um, some people think, oh, you know what, I might as well just do this now because it's easier. I really don't think, though, that that should be the reason um to make that decision. I think the timing decision should be driven by, you know, what you want to do uh, with your life, with your time, and whether there's a job or an opportunity you want to take advantage of. Um, And I do think there's a way to have your cake and eat it too, you know, to get some of those logistical advantages uh, and still take some time off if you think that's, that's what's best for you. Right. I took the LSAT my senior year of college, even though I knew I wasn't planning to attend law school for a few years. Uh, whether or not this is true in my head at the time, I just thought it would be easier to study for the LSAT while I was still in study mode. Right. And you can ask for those layers of recommendation while you're still in college and even before your senior year. And professors are usually happy to you know, either keep them on file uh, for you for the future. Yeah. Or you can sometimes create an LSAC account and just have them upload them straight there and you can kind of bank them and have them waiting for you whenever you're ready to apply. Or the professor could just change the date and uh, upload them years later. Exactly. So changing topics a little bit, what should someone uh, consider if they're applying after a pretty substantial number of years after they graduated from college? What advice would you give these sometimes we call them non-traditional applicants? Maybe, uh, Johan, you can take a crack at that one for us. Well, uh, typically the biggest challenge seems to be letters of recommendation. Once you are a number of years out of undergrad, it may feel awkward to go back and ask for a letter of recommendation from from a faculty member or professor. And, you know, at the end of the day, I usually just advise people to just ask uh, for a letter of recommendation. Uh, the typically just you know either a phone call or an email uh, to your recommender. Include your resume and and for the most part, most faculty members, most most professors are very open to having a conversation about about what your hopes and dreams are, what your goals are, and how a letter of recommendation would fit uh, within all of that. You know, I think if you're if you're still uncomfortable about doing that and you are going to ask for a professional recommendation, you know, having the professional recommender uh, speak to your academic skill set would probably uh, best fit uh, the type of letters recommendation that a lot of law schools are looking for. A question for you two. Sometimes applicants use the term non-traditional, and I'm not always certain what they mean by that. So what does non-traditional mean to you? I think that's such a good question. I'm hoping um, Johan can give us some guidance. I actually think it gets overused and more people think they're non-traditional um, than they are because we have such a huge variety of, of applicants in our applicant pool. So um, Johan, have you come to some conclusion on this after your your many decades in the field? Uh, you know, Miriam, I uh, when I hear that question, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm envisioning a law fair and someone coming up to my table and and saying, you know, I, I'm, I'm a non-traditional student. 
And then they'll go through their explanation of what they're doing and, and whatnot. And usually the person asking is, you know, has about you know two or three years of either professional or not-for-profit experience. And they're considering themselves as non-traditional. And, you know, I would say, you know, probably in the early 2000s, uh, that was absolutely, that was a non-traditional student. Um, I think now that with the, that, that's become more and more traditional than non-traditional. And, and to me, a non-traditional student is, you know, someone that may have a, a, a extremely established career, you know, a career that they do not have to leave, uh, but for this current passion of going to law school. So it's a job that is enduring and, and it requires uh, basically a career switch. So we've covered when someone should apply in terms of which cycle, but once you've decided you want to attend law school the following fall, when should you apply within that cycle? A lot of people say earlier is always better. Do you agree? <laughs> um, I think uh, it, it's become overused uh, in this segment, but uh, it depends. It depends. Uh, <laughs> Not just in this segment. I think it'll be a podcast theme. <laughs> it should just be. Maybe the podcast should have been called It Depends. Yeah, it could be. You know, I I think it depends on uh, on the applicant. And at the end of the at the end of the day, you know, strong application is is going to be a strong application, and you should only apply uh, when you're ready to apply and when all your materials are ready to uh, to to go in. And it's it's better to have everything as as tight as possible going in, uh, as opposed to uh, trying to uh, meet an artificial deadline in your head. Yeah. So at, at YLS, and, and I think the broader point is that I, I think this is school specific. So I would encourage people to really look at how different schools talk about this. At YLS, the timing within a cycle does not matter at all. Uh, we have a very unusual, some would say weird file reading process involving our faculty. And it's um, suffice it to say, it's structured in such a way that you have no advantage uh, by applying early. And in fact, there is a, a slight disadvantage if you apply before you're ready, because we will not hold your application for late materials. Um, so I, I, I think you should also look into that um, policy for various schools. So if you apply, um, but you're planning to retake the LSAT or you have an extra letter of recommendation you're waiting on, will the school hold your application if you ask them to? Some schools will and some, including us, won't. So that's something I think to be very cognizant of as you make decisions about when within the cycle you want to apply. Is there any circumstance in which it would be preferable to apply earlier, even if your application was less polished? For us, Absolutely not. You should always wait until your application is is exactly where you want it to be before you hit submit. What about what about you, Johan and Christy? I mean, for I, my my point of view is absolutely not. I mean, you would never uh, turn in a, a work assignment uh, before it was absolutely perfect. And so, and I think that you should also not turn in your your application. I mean, you wouldn't turn. I, I wouldn't turn in my personal statement with only one draft. Uh, the first go through. I mean, it's not a don't writing do that. Yeah, <laughs> don't do that. Um, so, so yeah. I mean, it has to be. I would try to make it as tight as possible because you want to put your best foot forward. And if you're not doing that, then uh, then you should wait. One thing I'll just say is. A lot of people apply right on the deadline. Um, and my first year in this role, everyone on my team told me, don't worry, that's what's going to happen. I still kind of worried deadline day. 
a lot of people applied. There are often processing delays just because humans can only process applications as quickly as they can process them, which may mean that your application is read later, which may mean that you are interviewed later. Uh, So even a week or two before the deadline, your application will be processed faster and then read a little quicker. But then honestly, I tell people this all the time. Everybody starts orientation on the same day. So yes, there's some advantage if you really want to be admitted earlier, but a strong applicant is a strong applicant, even if they apply, whether they apply the first day the app opens or right on the deadline. Spread it out. Give us a couple of days. I always say this to applicants, for my sanity, just apply not on the deadline day. That's all I ask. There's there's also this fallacy out there that we're going to run out of uh, offers, like we're going to run out of spots in the class. Which, which I, I think you know, most of us are seasoned admissions professionals. That that's not going to happen, and we know that there's going to be a bucket of applications that are coming in right at the deadline. We plan accordingly. Also, we know that there's going to be a bunch of applications coming in right before Thanksgiving and right before Christmas. Yep. Yep. Oh, I plan my Christmas break to sit during break and read files all day long. That's like we know the we know the the flow and when it comes in. All right. I have a question. This one is really for you, Johan, um, because it, it applies. It, it, it does not apply to Harvard or to Yale. So how does <laughs> timing impact merit scholarships? So both of us are need based only schools, uh, both Christy and I. Um, and so I'm really curious as to whether students who are very um, focused in uh, on merit scholarships, whether they should uh, time time their applications accordingly? Well, I think, you know, again, it's another one of those it depends uh, answers. Uh, it, the way schools treat merit scholarships, it's a very, uh, it's very school specific. I mean, there's some schools that will, uh, that have uh, a deadline after, after the point of admission where you have to turn in additional documentation, uh, additional essays, at which point you'll be given a, you'll be assigned a scholarship or given a scholarship. Then there are other schools that will just assign the scholarship immediately upon admission. Either it is, congratulations, Christy, you've been admitted to X law school. Here's your scholarship. Or it is, congratulations, Miriam, you've been admitted to X law school. Uh, your scholarship will be, will be coming to you within the next few days. Um, and so I think it, it depends on, uh, you know, if you're the type of applicant that wants certain certainty as quickly as possible, then, uh, then you turn in your application. If you turn in your application early, you'll probably get uh, a scholarship offer earlier at some schools, while other schools, you're just going to have to wait until maybe February or March uh, with all the other admitted applicants. Do schools run out of money? I know we already talked. We don't run out of offers. Don't, don't stress about that. Is it the same with, the, with merit money? You know, I, I think for the most part, yes. I mean, we're, once again, we're all seasoned admissions professionals. And we know we know the order and the volume of applications. We can predict that to a certain extent. And also by the same by that same token, we, we can we can uh, we can figure out how much how much aid uh, we can give out on a given year, and uh, and how much uh, how much we can't. And so and so it is metered out appropriately based on based on what we're what uh, what we're seeing. Johan, what about early decision programs? What do you see as the pros and cons of applying early decision? You know, I think early decision is such a a personal, um, it depends applicant by applicant. Uh, I would say that if there are reasons for why you are, as an applicant, you are attracted to one school over another, and that school has an early decision program, you've read through the early decision contract, 
and the financial terms, like for example, Northwestern, we have a guaranteed scholarship with our early decision program, and that's guaranteed for three years. So if you read our early decision contract and you're comfortable with that, uh, then then go ahead and apply early decision. If you're not comfortable with that, if you want to, uh, uh, let's say, you know, compare compare scholarships from different schools, uh, if your significant other may or may not be in the area where the school that you want to apply early decision is located, then maybe, you know, waiting and applying regular decision is, is the best way to go about doing that. Does it help you get in? Are they at a significant admissions advantage, do you think? You know, I... I think all of us, you know, all of us, you know, in the admissions, uh, in the admissions uh, business, you know, like like it when we know that our school is is, is a student's number one choice. So, uh, to that respect, you know, it, it it it's somewhat of an advantage. But I think if I were to quantify it, I think a colleague of ours called it a feather on a scale. We're going to conclude with some questions from you, prospective law school applicants. First question goes to Johan. Is the October LSAT too late to count as applying early? It's kind of a weird question because it makes it seem like there's a formal definition of early versus late. But I guess Johan will let you take the hard one. I am reading it as submitted. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm quibbling about the terms. It feels very unfair. Um, It is it is not too late uh as for it does it is it considered applying early i I would say it it depends on when you when you turn in your actual application i mean i think there's some some students that will turn their applications uh before taking the october lsat and then the october lsat will will merge into their application there are others that will wait until uh after they take the lsat and then submit applications uh, so either way, I think I think most applicants are fine. It just depends on personal preference uh, and, and when it comes to the sequential order of things. If someone's submitted already and then they take the October LSAT and the score comes through a couple weeks later, it sounds pretty early to me. Yeah. Well, you know, I, it, it, me being the dinosaur in the room, uh, I remember a time when when these scores took a really long time to get in. Mm. And I remember, I remember the paper files and having to wait for the paper LSAT, LSAC update. Yeah. So um, to me, everything is really fast these days. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Next question from a listener. This is for you, Miriam. When it comes to timing, what is your advice for reapplicants? So I don't, I don't think reapplicants should think about timing any differently than first-time applicants. Uh, I think they should apply when their application is um, sort of done and ready, and they feel really good about all the components of it. I think in general, reapplicants, um, as part of the application process, should be looking carefully at their prior year's application um, and sort of analyzing each piece of it and thinking what was successful, what was not, what might have room for improvement, what might have been the best version that it could possibly be, um, and you know, they might have a little bit of a head start because they already have, you know, drafts of everything that were in good shape to begin with. Um, and But again, they should not apply until the entire application is ready. All right, Johan, we're going to give you the final word. Any parting advice for our listeners? Uh, I would just say that the application process is really exciting. As applicants, you should, uh, you know, really relish the situation really relish the process because how often do you get to uh, write essays and and talk to people about your hopes and your dreams and what you want to do with your life and you know I think it, I think that's that's really exciting and really important also you know, take time once once you once you got your acceptance and once you decide on which law school that you want to go to take some time to write down uh, 
why you're going to law school and write down, uh, write down your thoughts because there'll be times during your law school career where you're going to question all of it. And it's good to kind of go back and, and, and touch base with, with that pre-law school self as a reality check of why you're doing this. And it makes, uh, you know, it makes for a good law school experience, I think. All right. Well, a huge thank you to Johan for, uh, for your time and for your fabulous advice to uh, all of the applicants out there. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Navigating Law School Admissions with Miriam and Christy. Do you have a question you'd like us to answer? Send them along to jdadmiss, J-D-A-D-M-I-S-S, at law.harvard.edu. You can write your question in the email itself, or if you'd like to hear your voice on this podcast, attach your question as a voice recording. This podcast is produced by Ryan McAvoy from the Yale Broadcast Studio.